So today uh, we're talking a little bit about third city markets. We recently released a white paper called 30, Third City Markets, the emergent trend in third city markets. And the idea here was, why don't we take the same methodology that we use to identify the next secondary and tertiary markets in the Western US that we're expanding into where the greatest opportunities are. Let's take that same methodology and bite-size it down to populations of 100 to 200,000. Now, we operate anywhere from 100,000 all the way up to 5 million square, or, I'm sorry, population, yeah. uh, metropolitan population. But we decided with this white paper, let's take that same methodology and let's just look at these small, the smallest of the small markets, the, the almost beyond tertiary. And, and what, is it, what does it yield? What are some gems along the way? And uh, so that that was kind of the exercise, and would would love to you maybe talk a little bit about how we went about doing this. Let's start with the idea that what's uh, an interesting thing is that for our style of investing in secondary and tertiary markets, you have to earn your way into tertiary markets. You have to earn your way into the smallest markets. Those are often the hardest markets to enter. They're, they tend to be the least liquid, which is the downside. Mm-hmm. Um, and to buy at great pricing. In those markets, is difficult. They're just dominated by local players. And those local players tend to hold 10 years, 15 years. They tend to not sell. And to earn your way into tertiary markets, you have to uh, be active in the secondary, uh, create traction in, in, in those around it, and work your way into those best tertiary markets. And this idea of third cities... It started, it, frankly, it started in Colorado. And it, it's interesting to note that this third city idea is an R&D idea. This was our applying a methodology that we have put on secondary and tertiary, mar- tertiary markets. And, 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 and we tried to put it on the smallest markets. But this idea originated with Pueblo, Colorado. And if you ask Coloradans about Pueblo, um, I've gotten very mixed responses. But they have to remember that we live in Modesto. And... <laughs> Frankly, when and we like Bakersfield, and we like we, Bakersfield. So when I got to Pueblo, I thought this is heaven. Like Pueblo, Colorado, they have a river. The Arkansas River goes to the middle of this place. It's a nice downtown. I thought this is great. I've since talked to other Coloradans. They're like Pueblo. <laughs> but the, but the point is this: you've got Denver, which is um, a dominant secondary market. It is a well uh, ranked and well received secondary market throughout the U.S. Um, and then you've got Colorado Springs, uh, often ranked as the third best place in America to live. And then 45 minutes outside, you have Pueblo. Um, it, it, the, the question was, especially in multifamily, um, what drives Pueblo? And the answer is it's, it's in the vein of what drives Modesto. It's, uh, it, it's value and it's proximity and it's quality of life. Um, back up a step, the way we invest is we look for uh, tight vacancy, reasonable rents, and value relative to replacement cost. And the reason Pueblo popped up was vacancy of 1.3%, uh, rents that were about $1,000 a unit, uh, yeah. and, and replacement cost at about 50%. Like, that showed up. That, those are three green yeah. lights. You don't see those lights in Colorado Springs that way. Yeah. And it's a, you, you don't see them in, in Denver Metro as much either. Well, and I think even just stepping back a little bit, um, like you were referring we are, by our very nature, we're contrarian investors. We're, we're investing in geographies that are historically you know, non-institutional geographies. And um, 
to do that, we have to clear away the clutter because you take a market like Bakersfield, if you talk to anyone from the greater LA area, Bakersfield is the armpit of the world. And yet, by many quality of life measures, by affordability measures, uh, by climate, you know, there, there are a lot of benefits to Bakersfield. It just happens to be shadowed by a much larger major market. And so when you have that kind of echo effect where it's like Colorado Springs is an amazing market, so compared to that, Pueblo doesn't look so great. You ha- the, what we use is we use qualitative or quantitative measures to clear away the noise and mm-hmm. and be able to really distill down what drives a market and what are the, the what are the key attributes of markets that we look for regardless of you know perception and that sort of thing because uh, that that's subject to to whim and it's subject to you know qualitative uh, factors yeah it's interesting if you have tight vacancy and reasonable rents you will see rent growth there is a list of people looking to rent those units. Yeah. Um, and if you have positive population growth, you will see continual demand in those markets. So the markets are, are punished because of liquidity. You, they are, you're, especially in downtimes like we're in now, it's a, a good time to buy, a bad time to uh, sell. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're more cyclical, but the population is very sticky. Uh, another piece we added into this was um, median home price, uh, average income, rent compared to income, um, and ARP score. ARP's got this great score oriented towards seniors, but it's oriented towards quality of life. It's oriented towards affordability. And there's there's a lot of markets that are in the middle there that because of value and proximity uh, score well than the m- most attractive markets, the famous markets. And a, a big part of our job is to not run with the herd. Uh, I'd say, use an analogy, dance with the herd a little bit. We're in mm-hmm. proximity. We're, we're not in that in the same uh, strategies, but we are very careful of where our proximity is. And these uh, tertiary markets, these third city markets, are a good example of how we how we dance. Does that mean we're uh, are we're going to be very focused only on this? No, um, we will buy in some of these cities. We certainly won't buy in all. We'll probably buy in a few of these cities, and it will happen over time as we build out our clusters in such a way that our uh, management capability and our conviction and our thesis align uh, with the right opportunity at the right time. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious, uh, obviously I've seen the white paper, but uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about some of the uh, results that we found and some surprises and uh, when when we apply a more quantitative approach to evaluating. Yeah. So we we sorted first for vacancy rate, uh, these, the vacancy rate in these uh, markets uh, are somewhere between one and 3%, the tightest uh, in the country, very hard to find that. Um, rents that were uh, very reasonable, uh, $800 to $1,400, especially relative to average income. Um, above average annual rent growth, uh, um, median home prices that were uh, fair, but also uh, made it uh, make more sense to rent, or, or certainly there was yeah. a, yeah. it didn't uh, favor towards owning. And most importantly, an ARP score, I, I won't say most importantly, but an ARP score, a score, a quality of life score that said, uh, this, is a, this is a place where you can live. This is a place where you can raise a family. This is a place where your kids can go to school, where yeah. you're near nature, where you can probably have a, a garage if you want, where you can yeah. park your car and walk to a store. Um, so it's, it's 
quality of life relative to affordability, essentially. Yeah. Because we're not looking at, you know, the cities that score the highest on the quality of life are often the least affordable. Right. And so one of the, the key filters for us is because we want that ability to for rent to grow. Yeah. We want that ability for property values to grow. And, and so being in an affordable market that also has quality of life, there's value there. Well, and these markets are the most open to institutionalization because there's the least amount of institutionals there. Yeah, um, yeah. It, these are uh, hard mar- markets to enter and require their they're higher. They're, it's it's uh, contrary to what you might think, but they're high barrier to entry markets, um, both because it's hard to find the right deals there and because it's hard for firms to make sense of investing there unless they've earned the way to it by building out the clusters that support their management teams and their uh, effort. It is a longer-term strategy, not a short-term strategy. Um, but when we apply our techniques and when we uh, run properties professionally in these markets, there's tremendous upside because um, they've, they've been run by mom and pops. Yeah. What city was uh, most surprising on the list? Cheyenne, Wyoming. <laughs> 1.3% vacancy. Um also, Redding, California, Bakersfield, California, Yakima, Washington, um, Las Cruces, New Mexico. Based on this report, I went to Las Cruces not too long ago, and um, <laughs> a lovely place. So, yeah. uh, but you know, I met with local firms there. I, I surveyed the market. Um, very tough market to enter. It's very tight, entrenched market with local players that are that that uh, you know with local players. So to um, a larger market, in fact, the largest market that might fit this is El Paso, 45 minutes away. Yeah. And there will be a day, I think, where you can combine those two markets in a cluster. I think something to mention about this white paper, much like our prior white papers, it's it's a mix of tactical, real-world experience, investing experience with uh, kind of maybe our more academic analytical approach of how we view the world going back to the whole contrarian investing it requires a discipline and a and a quantitative approach that kind of working with the herd doesn't necessarily require i mean you you work uh primarily on the capital side or or you lead that side how this how does this strategy resonate uh as you see it on the capital side yeah oh absolutely it must be an interesting uh pitch yeah it is fascinating because um, you know the conversations are pretty binary. In like, I totally resonate. I get it. This is an opportunity, or I don't get it. This is not something that we're interested in. Yeah. Um, and I would say on the on the get it side, it really is around. I mean, candidly, everybody is searching for alpha. Everybody is searching for the next niche strategy. They're they're looking for where they can find pockets of opportunity in the market. And I think as we have seen, there's this large, mature, existing segment of the market that is there and has yet to be institutionalized. So this isn't, you know, I I would say with life science, it's a little bit of uh, maturing a category, but also inventing a category, uh, right? Because this, that it's a new field. Data centers even more so. You know, it's a, it's a new category, right? Yeah. And so people are learning how to operate in those categories. 
but secondary and tertiary markets like a lot like self storage or mobile home parks it's just an existing mature segment of the market that that hasn't been institutionalized but when you do that uh, it requires a more methodical quantitative approach to, to entering these markets because uh, you are doing you, you're by by your very nature you're going into highly inefficient yeah markets the most that, inefficient. That, that have uh, you know lot not a lot of information flow and you're creating the systems to build that information flow when you when you're just talking about a, an individual market or two it's easy to see that as uh, not the strategy but when you speak to the greater western US uh, that there's 85 uh, secondary and tertiary markets 1.8 trillion uh, dollars worth of value in the type in the in the multi-tenant industrial and uh, value-add multifamily that we invest in, the aggregate value, uh, the aggregate opportunity is what's extremely powerful. Yep. So what on our side becomes the most powerful thing is the way we develop new markets, the way we build clusters, the way we uh, develop over time in, into uh, lots of smaller markets that historically have been untouched uh, because it was inefficient to go there. We are putting in the groundwork uh, and the capital and human capital to develop into those those places. Yeah. So um, I just close by saying, uh, what's next for us? What's next is we'll continue to do this sort of R and D. We will continue to build out the clusters in the uh, seven markets we're currently in. We will likely add one or two markets or sub markets per year, and um, we'll do this for a long period of time. And uh, we expect to create a lot of value. Thank you for listening to Durable Value, an investor's podcast where we demystify commercial real estate with safe, sound investment strategies to help you balance your portfolio. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more, visit grisetapartners.com, where you'll find more information, investors tools, case studies, and more. This podcast is hosted by Joe Miratori and Ryan Suela. It's produced, edited, and mixed by Melodic, with intro music by Ian Post. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.